0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 64, Mythbusters, Buy Term and Invest the Rest traditional financial planning is no longer working and in the new normal economy your hosts mark willis and holly bach invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity be curious be stable be sane this is not your average financial podcast helping you think different about your money your economy and your future we're so glad to be in your ears this uh, this morning or evening or whenever you're listening to this. We're recording it uh, just a few days before Black Friday, and it's going to drop on Black Friday. So happy Black Friday if you're hearing this right as we post it. And uh, happy morning to you, Holly.
1: Hello, Thank you, Mark.
0: All right. So uh, we do have a Black Friday deal here if you're hearing this as we're dropping the episode., uh, if you're still looking for a great Black Friday deal on Amazon, why not, uh, you know, actually, uh, get something that's even more valuable than what Amazon could offer. We have a book that uh, we're selling from our offices here for $0.00 and 0 cents. As long as you cover the price of shipping, we'll send it to you no problem. So the book is uh, actually, we I co-authored it earlier this year, uh, and it's called How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. So How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker, it's about some of the strategies we've mentioned on these episodes, as well as ways to use the bank-on-yourself strategy uh, with your side hustle or your full-time hustle for an e-commerce business. And there's a number of people we've worked with this year who are uh, increasing their income tremendously through e-commerce solutions on Amazon. So we co-authored that book and there are a bunch of copies that we're trying to get off our shelves here at the office. So give us a call or just uh, you know, reach out to us. Uh, you can uh, go on the request a meeting button on the Not Your Average Financial Podcast website, or you can just email us at uh, hello at com and just say uh, in the subject line, just just title it book or something like that. (laughs) So we know what what, what we're uh, getting from you there. So, well, very good. Well, we got a lot of ground to cover here together today. And I can't wait to get into some of this content. So, you know, many people who hear about the work we do, Holly, uh, that we specialize in here immediately switch their mind off when they hear that the asset class we're working on and working with our clients on is life insurance. They tell me, and they, I'm sure they've told you too, that they don't need any more life insurance, that they've got plenty of term insurance. You know, that, that, that response is still ringing in my ears. And I often typically respond and say, well, uh, sir, do you have enough tax-free cash flow protected for your retirement? And most people look at us with four eyes, like, like we have four eyes or something when we say that, because most people don't realize that that statement is only possible with cash value life insurance. I mean, so the benefits of whole life insurance are obvious after some of our our previous episodes. For example, there's a death benefit that lasts your entire life. But with term insurance, it drops off right around the time you might kick the bucket, right? What else?
1: Yeah. And whole life insurance also includes a cash value, which we've talked extensively about on our podcast. And so, you know, essentially this cash value is just a bucket of money that you can use and access while you're alive for any reason at any time. You know, there's no waiting around for age 59 and a half, like the government sponsored retirement plans. You can take it out whenever you, whenever you see fit.
0: Yep. And that cash value, that accessible accessible cash, is money that's growing guaranteed every single year, no matter what's happening in the markets.
1: And then also in addition, that cash value, you know, both your your principal, what you've paid into the policy, and all your gains, your growth on it, um, all of that can be accessed tax free. Just you know, very similar to like a Roth IRA um, under our current tax laws.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just tremendous when we start stop to sort of think about it. It's almost like we're talking about two very different financial vehicles, term insurance versus whole life insurance. Uh, so, you know, we could go on, Holly, right? Uh, no contribution limits. You know, you can pack in as much as you want. I was working with someone yesterday. Uh, they're putting $42,000 a year into a whole life policy. That's more, what is that? That's, you know, seven, eight times as much as you could pack into a Roth IRA with the same tax advantages. So it avoids probate, for example. Uh, you know, the list keeps going and growing, creditor protection uh, and so forth. But the trouble with whole life insurance, like most people know about, is that that cash value grows very slowly, usually because of high commissions that are paid to the agent. So, you know, when when we bring up whole life insurance, the critic might say, well, why would, why in the world would I get a whole life policy when I was always told to take my money and buy term and invest the difference? I'll get a higher return for my money in the market And I'll still get that death benefit uh, that the whole life policy would have given me anyway. So that's the general uh, uh, critique, I guess, of whole life insurance. And then they bring up the concept of buying term and investing the difference. So I wanted to get into the history of that argument just briefly here. In the 1960s, after Nixon took us off the gold standard, Wall Street and investment vehicles really began to take off. It was a part of the inflation and the collapse of the dollar that took place right after we left the gold standard. And that really changed everything with regard to where Americans said, uh, in general, they would tell you that that they found good places to keep money. So we moved from whole life insurance into the stock market in part because of a result of those actions taking us off the gold standard. And uh, one gentleman in particular, A.L. Williams, picked up on this change and coined the phrase buy term and invest the difference. So many people hear that phrase, buy term and invest the difference, and hear Dave Ramsey's voice uh, in their ears, right? Uh, but that slogan actually came from A.L. Williams, who built up this huge agency, life insurance agency, and sold a ton of term insurance. And, oh, by the way, you know, he would go around with his agents, meeting with people who had long-standing whole life policies, had them for decades, and convince them that they were overpaying for that same insurance, they could do a lot better in the stock market. No, uh, also just so happens, Mr. Williams happened to have a mutual, uh, like an investment company uh, with mutual funds. Uh, so he also ran that and profited from that as well. So. You know, if you ask a butcher if you should go vegetarian, it's it's very likely he'll disagree <laughs> and, and point you back toward his great selections of meats, right? Holly, what would you add to that?
1: Yep. So really this idea uh, that originated with A.L. Williams, but has also been expounded upon and even, I would say, more, um, you know, just kind of been vocalized more and more by Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and, and others. Um, really, the idea behind this would be to, you know, figure out what your premium for a whole life insurance policy would be. So say, hey, I need, let's just say $200,000 of death benefit coverage. So you would go to, you know, ABC insurance company down the street. You would say, how much would it cost me to get a whole life policy for 200,000? Then they're going to quote you, okay, you know, X number of dollars. So then what you would do is you would then go and you would say, hey, actually, okay, now how much could I get a term insurance policy for that same amount? and then you would take the difference between the two, so subtract the term insurance cost from the whole life insurance cost, and you'll end up with essentially you know the difference between the two, and that's what you're supposed to be saving, or in this kind of particular advice, you should be investing into some sort of side fund uh, that'd be invested in the S&P 500, mutual fund, I mean, whatever the case may be. Um, But I mean, they really never tell you the full story. I mean, proponents of this idea think that they've accounted for the life insurance just with the term policy. They think, okay, you got a term policy, check. You know, you checked that box, whole life, or sorry, life insurance, taken care of. And so, and then they just look at the growth performance of the cash value of the life insurance and compare that to the investment account. But when you buy term, invest the rest and then you pass away, you get the death benefit as well as the mutual funds. So they're saying, look at this, your, your, your portfolio is doing better. You're getting um, all this money from the mutual fund account and you're getting this death benefit when you pass away. Look how much better you're doing than you, if, it, if it was all kind of wrapped into one and you just had this um, you know cash value and a death benefit. Because then they're looking at that and just like, oh, well, when you do it all wrapped up into one thing, you have this whole life policy, you pass away, all that gets paid out is the death benefit, mm-hmm. and there's not that cash value. So they're just like, look at how much you're losing.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, in fact, Dave Ramsey says they confiscate those insurance companies are so greedy they take away, they confiscate that cash value. So you know, we're not saying don't invest in the stock market. We're saying, and we're not saying don't buy term insurance. We're just saying that these two things don't um, replace whole life insurance, right? Uh, so the truth is to Dave's uh, claim contrary to his claim of the insurance company confiscating your cash value, the truth is the cash value does not go away. That was the net present value of your death benefit today. Think of that sort of like your walk away money. If you decided to surrender your policy, let's say 10 years in, you know, that's a, that's a big relief to the insurance company. They aren't going to have to pay that half a million dollars death benefit 30 years from now when you happen to pass away. So they're every year going to give you a larger and larger sort of uh, walk away money, uh, which is called the cash surrender value, sort of a net present value, a spot payment on what that uh, death benefit might have been had you stuck with it and kept paying for that whole life policy. So every year that guaranteed cash surrender value goes up, 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 because that's a increasing probability that you might, you know, get your wings this year. So the insurance company is ready to give you that uh, larger cash value to uh, absolve them of the ultimate big death benefit uh, liability. So Dave Ramsey might say, well, the stock market would do 12% each year. And so, you know, there's no way that a whole life policy is gonna be doing, especially in today's interest rate environment, 12% a year, right? But can he guarantee, can he guarantee that it will be doing 12% a year? Uh, I mean, it's not sufficient to compare something that's uh, risk-free and something that is not risk-free. So there's just it's really difficult to even compare them as apples to apples. Mm. And what is that juicy rate of return that Wall Street promises? And by the way, do whole life policies fall flat on their face in comparison?
1: Yeah, I mean whole life insurance and whole life policies over the last fifty to sixty years have grown. You know, over the long term at four percent or as much as seven percent with some companies. I mean, current illustration. So if you were to get a you know illustration run for you today, it might show something a little bit different since we are currently in this you know low, low, low interest rate environment. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, insurance companies aren't allowed to show any sort of growth rate or dividend rate on their policies that's not current. So they have to project whatever their current interest rate is into the future. So even though, you know, chances are we might see things get better, improve over time, they legally are not allowed to show that. And so things are, you know, might look a little bit lower than what we've been seeing historically over the last 50 to 60 years. Um, But really, you know, in reality, somewhere around about 5 to 6% is pretty common, you know, over the long run for Mm -hmm. a whole life policy. And that return on a tax equivalent basis would be much higher if you had your money in you know, other taxable investments, like you know perhaps some of these others would recommend when you're investing the difference. So for example, if we did have this 5% return in your policy, well, if you were in a 30% tax bracket, you'd actually have to get closer to about an 8% return in that taxable account.
0: That investment portfolio. Yep, yeah, okay. exactly, Got in it. the investment mm-hmm.
1: portfolio. Since much of that would have to go to the IRS when it comes to, you know, when it comes time to take the money out of that investment account and you actually want to start using that money. So if you have a taxable investment account, you'd have to do closer to about 8% just to match the tax-free 5% growth of the whole life insurance policy. And then, of course, don't forget fees on top of that, you know, in the investment account, that's also going to come off the return that you would get in the market. So now we're going to be needing closer to about 9 to 10% a year each and every year just to keep up with that boring whole yeah. life insurance policy and just to keep up with that dismal Five percent, you know, j- but it's that's because everything's wrapped into that. You're still getting five percent after all the costs of insurance. You're still getting five percent, you know, tax free growth, and that's just not the same. It's not that apples to apples comparison mm-hmm. um, when you're talking about an investment account and a whole life insurance policy. Well,
0: yeah, and, and to boot, you know, we're looking at life insurance. So the rate of return on a death benefit—if you passed away in the first few years you'd have paid in very little into uh, the whole life policy and received a giant lump sum as a result. I mean, I've seen internal rates of return on the death benefit in the first 10 years north of 500%, Holly, 500% tax-free. Mm-hmm. That's a tax-free return there. Now, even in the later years, if you were around for decades and decades, which we're all hoping you will, um, the, even then the death benefit is still in the double digits tax-free You know, with no market risk. So Come on, Dave Ramsey. We'd love to have you on our show. <laughs> I mean, I know you've you've got plenty of time to kill, so come on over. We'd love to have you on. Let's talk about it. You know, let's just look at it. And in, in terms of math, you know, I think we've we've uh, got this pretty well covered. Uh, so this is not even using the loan feature. We're not even talking about the value of using the access to the cash mm-hmm. in the whole life policy, whereas in Dave's strategy or A. L. Williams strategy or Susie's strategy, whatever. In buying term and investing the the rest, we've got to keep that money locked up for 40 years. How many times will we have to go to, you know, a mortgage company or a credit card or a student loan just so that we can keep that money invested in the market? So, you know, things get even more favorable for buying whole life and for getting the rest when we do it this way, right? Yeah. So, uh, what does Dave? say then about when you lose the term insurance. You know, he he, he, he brings this up, actually. He says, you know, uh, hey, at the end of the term, 20-year, 30-year term, you should lose that term insurance. Just leave it behind because you've accumulated so much wealth in your investment portfolio that you can just, quote, self-insure. Now, Holly, do you know what it means to self-insure?
1: It means that I'm taking on all that risk now. I mean, I'm I'm going to be the insurance company now. Mm -hmm. What?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It means you don't have insurance, right? Okay. (laughs) So, you know, straight up, I mean, Holly, if you pay for something, anything, a phone, a car, anything over 10 years and get nothing at the end of the day, what do you call that?
1: Um, Stealing. (laughs) Stealing my money. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And a huge ripoff.
0: Oh man. Yep. So, you know, that's what term insurance is, right? How else can we really describe it? So, now that you're older and you're uh, needing to re-up because your investments didn't do exactly like Dave says on the radio, now we've got to come up with more cash just to keep up with that aging uh, body, right? So a 25-year-old uh, might spend, for a million-dollar term insurance, uh, maybe 1500 bucks a year. Okay. By age 35, that cost has now grown, same million dollar death benefit, but now that cost at age 35 is now $6,500 each year. And at age 50, we've put in a total of $35,000 into this term insurance policy that's getting ready to expire now that we're age 50. And at that point, they'll send you a nice letter, nice to them, I guess, saying that if we want to keep this policy any longer, we'll have to raise that term premium up 700% just to keep that death benefit. So, you know, like 99% of folks out there, all of us typically will drop that term insurance policy like a hot plate. So, you know, we pumped in 35 grand into this insurance company and we have nothing to show for it.
1: And those are real numbers. I mean, you didn't just make that up. No. You ran those numbers. So, when you say 700% is the increase in cost, we're not exaggerating. We're not making things up. We're not trying to make, paint a a far worse picture than is realistic. I mean, we ran these numbers, the increase in cost was 700%. I mean, just facts. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. So now now let's look at the whole life premium for that same million dollars. It'd be around $35,000 each year. Now, why, Holly, why in the world would someone pay $35,000 each year when they could get it for, you know, 1500 bucks a year?
1: I don't know. It sounds like a bad deal. Sounds
0: like a ripoff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me show you what happens when you put in more into the whole life. So with permanent cash value whole life insurance, $35,000 over 10 years, you got back the $350,000 in your cash value. So what was your cost after 10 years, Holly?
1: Well, I guess if I paid in, 35000 a year for 10 years. So I would have put in a total of $350,000. But I guess if my cash value, you know, what I would get if I were to just surrender the policy that year was 350000 then, I mean, I don't really feel like I paid anything yeah. for it, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. $0, right? Uh, over 20 years, that cash value has now grown to $450,000. So, if he cancels, you know, if this person were to cancel, uh, you'd get $150,000 in gain. You had 20 years of insurance versus having life insurance for, say, a term insurance policy for 20 years and losing $35,000, which is the better scenario for you and for your family? Right? Which one would you choose, Holly?
1: Yeah, um I'll take the 450,000, please. Come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's waiting for you outside. All right. So, the first the first benefit with life insurance is that all life insurance has a tax-free death benefit. But, you know, what about all those cash value benefits, Holly?
1: Yeah, and and again, you know, this this is not apples to apples comparison. Um, it doesn't. It's not as clear cut and dry as perhaps um, some of these people proponent of this strategy of, you know, buying term invest the rest. You may have heard it said that way. Um, you know, it's it's not that clear cut and dry. So if you buy a term insurance policy, are you really solving um, the the same insurance need that a whole life insurance policy could. I mean, no. The idea with whole life is it's for your whole life. (laughs) How many times can we make this pun? Um, You know, but the, the whole life insurance policy is permanent, like we talked about, whereas term insurance will expire. So once you have no insurance anymore, because that term insurance policy is gone, that's a huge loss to your family. And if you try to renew it, even if you're still in good health, the premium will be more expensive, just plain and simple. It's going to be just because of your age, and for some people, you may not actually be insurable at all, um, which in, you know in many cases we've seen, and it's it's tragic um, because people are just banking on their health lasting forever, or at least you know staying good forever, and they're like, oh well, I'll cross that bridge when I need to, but who knows what could happen and what could change. So a term insurance policy has this built-in expiration date. Whereas a whole life insurance policy, you know, it's a per- permanent liability to the insurance company and a permanent asset to you and your family. Say that again,
0: Holly. That's really important to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, it's a permanent liability <laughs> to the insurance company and a permanent asset to you and your family. And we've talked about this before, but I mean really there's no worst case scenario. It's it's what did we say before another episode? It's use it or use it, you yeah. know, where mm-hmm. it's like either you're using it in your lifetime or it's going to get passed on to your family for them to use. Someone's going to be using it um, You know, when you have this whole life insurance policy. So as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, you know, an insurance company is contractually obligated to give your family Whatever that you know, large death benefit uh, may have grown to when you pass away, or when you turn you know, 121 years old.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if you look at one-year term insurance, they do sell that out there. Versus maybe a 10-year term, versus 20-year, versus 30-year, versus 50-year, the annualized premium there goes up each. The longer you have a term contract, the more expensive it is over each year. So a term policy for a 35-year-old. Um, You know, might be, you know, a thousand bucks for a million dollars. It might be $1,400 for a 10-year term. 20-year term would be uh, $2,200. So the longer that term, the higher the annual premium. Why? Well, the longer you're insured, the more risk to the insurance company.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you're 21 years old and you get a whole life policy, that's effectively a 100 year term policy. So, you know, kind of mm-hmm. makes sense that yeah. that premium's going to be higher. It's not like the insurance company charging more for whole life because, you you know, they're like pulling a fast one on you or they're trying to package this thing that's going to end up being a bad deal for you. Yeah. If, if anything, the term is what they're packaging well, because it's a bad deal for it's you. It's
0: not like you're but. automatically more likely to die if you own a whole life policy or something. You know, it's so it's not like one is more actuarially expensive. And it's, you're right. It's not like they're pulling a fast one. This whole life thing has been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. I think folks would have figured it out by now
1: yep. the key difference with whole life is, you know you're not just renting the death benefit. Um, you know, with with whole life as you are with term insurance. So it builds up cash cash accumulation. In fact, it was really the major place people saved money uh, back in our grandparents' day. I mean, they saved in savings, CDs, life insurance, and bonds. I mean, that's what they put their money into. Uh, Whereas with term insurance, (laughs) actually the reality is that over 99% of term insurance policies never pay out claim. Yeah. Never pay a penny wow. to anyone. And that's according to um, a Penn State University study that was done in 1993. So, I mean, yeah, sure, they can afford to charge less for those term policies. And in fact, their profit margin is way higher than with whole life when they're never really having to pay anything out because people are dropping them you know, before that time would ever really come or it's going to be likely that someone's going to need that death benefit. Um, which just makes the whole life insurance, you know, so much more robust.
0: Yeah, well, and and so I think it's important to realize that, you know, we're not saying don't buy term uh, and we're not saying don't invest in the market. What we're saying is that these two things don't equate to each other. The market's volatility is not the same as the straight predictable growth pattern of a whole life policy. And we're not saying, um, you know, don't buy term insurance. We're just saying don't follow the advice of buy term and invest the difference, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yep. And I think another point that really can't be overlooked is whether the full phrase, you know, buy term and invest the rest is actually even being followed, right? You know, so show of hands here, listeners. Not if you're
0: driving. Keep your hands on the wheel.
1: Well, they can use one, okay, right? All right. <laughs> <If> <laughs> just kidding, be safe. If you're safe on the driving. train,
0: just raise those hands up high. Come
1: yeah, on. exactly. Be proud. Um who I mean, who all really follows that the full phrase of that advice? I mean, do you actually did you actually go out, calculate the difference in price between term and whole life insurance? Did you actually calculate what that difference would be and then you diligently started budgeting each and every month that exact amount? I mean, if I had to guess, I would say just about no one actually does all that. There They're probably like, oh, okay, go, you know, buy term and invest the rest. So I'm, you know, I just heard buy term, so I'm just gonna go buy term and then most likely end up spending the rest. Hmm, Right? Right, right. And so in that scenario, you're definitely gonna be better off going the whole life route, because that's a forced savings plan, whereas buy term invest the rest, you're still leaving some up to to human error a little bit there. Can I count
0: going to restaurants as investing, because I would love to. I'd love to know what the
1: rate of return on that is for you, (laughs) Mark. How's that going to help you return Well, (laughs) not
0: on my belts, uh, not my belt size. There's a return there, I guess.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, the real scenario we end up with is we have a bunch of people who are renting life insurance coverage. And have little to no savings so that when they reach their later years, like retirement, they end up with no life insurance coverage and a meager retirement fund that can barely cover their daily expenses. I mean, doesn't that really sound wow. a lot right. more yeah. like where our society's at today? You know, rather than perhaps the I hope the intended goal of what when people started this phrase of people being able to amass so much wealth through the market that they actually could self insure in these later years. As they talked about. I mean, also this idea of self-insuring is also predicated on the fact that your home and all the other other debts were paid off by these later years. So that there's not a, a you know a mortgage or any debts that need to be paid off when you passed away. So the idea is that, you know literally all your family would need to do when you pass away is just kind of put you in the ground. And so sure, you could probably self-insure that cost. Just make sure you're leaving them, you know, $10,000, something in that range to, um, you know, do a funeral, take care of things. And so that sounds reasonable. But again, how many people do you know that that's actually the case? That by, you know, 50, 60, 70, when these term policies are going to start to become unaffordable, they have all their debts paid off, they have enough, you know, savings that they're going to be able to leave something behind to their family, you know, above and beyond what they're going to need to cover their own expenses. I mean, that's just not the reality that we live in. And it's not that, buy term and invest the rest isn't a good idea in theory. I mean as a concept it sounds great. Um, but of course there's there's things that have to happen here, right? I mean the market has to hold up its end of the deal in actually growing our money um, over over the long run. And maybe, maybe it can, maybe it can't, you know, we never know. And so that's why we need to just see this all too common, just kind of spouted out advice through the lens of reality. And we really just need to kind of see whether this method is really going to protect our families and help us retire as safely Mm. as possible.
0: So maybe instead of buy term and invest the rest, why don't we just come up with a new slogan? What about, you know, buy term or buy whole life for your whole life and it grows for your whole life. You like that? You like (laughs) that? There you go. Buy whole life for your whole life and it grows for your whole life.
1: Sounds All right. Good. So are people, are
0: people doing this maliciously? Is there some sort of like a uh, cloak and dagger thing going on here, Holly?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I really don't think that the, the, I like to think, right, you know, the people that are, you know, sitting down sharing this advice with people, they're not maliciously trying to do people wrong. I just think that they're not, perhaps fully thinking it through, and they also don't fully understand whole life. They don't understand the alternative. Um, And that's what I would just encourage you, our listeners, to do. That's all. Just think it through. You know, we're not average here on this podcast, and our listeners, I hope you aren't average. So we don't just take average advice and blindly follow it. That's not what we do. We're here to challenge those conventional wisdoms. We're here to challenge these common, you know, advice and common phrases that people are are throwing around. And that's kind of what this little mini series is for. We called it, you know, affectionately called it Myth Busters. So just kind of taking those, um, you know, common myths, common financial myths and conceptions, and we're just here to challenge them and just to talk about them and see, you know, to take that time to actually think get through what that advice would actually mean for you and whether it's actually going to help you accomplish your goals and not only just accomplish them but accomplish them in the way that you would want them accomplished. So. That's all we're here to say. You know, we're not here to say that buying term is bad. We're not here to say investing is bad. We're just here to challenge you to just think through when you just hear a phrase spouted out that sounds, has a nice ring to it. It's popular, it's catchy. You know, maybe don't just blindly follow, but think it through.
0: Very good. Well, I'd say that it's time to uh, wrap this episode up. I'd say that we've done a pretty decent job of uh, helping folks think this strategy through. And I'd say that this myth is officially Busted. Busted. All right. (laughs) So thank you for joining us, everyone, for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting.